1: Paul is really trying to drive home is not the length of your hair, ladies. What Paul is trying to drive home is is not guys that you can't, you know, let your hair grow out some. What Paul is trying to drive home is not the fact that, ladies, you have to have a, a little veil or a little hanky over your head. What he's trying to drive home for each one of them, male and female alike, is that God is a God of order, and there is spiritual authority, and that we need to be those that walk In submission to that kind of authority.
0: In today's message, Pastor David questions our attitude about authority. Paul emphasized that God had placed order and authority over us. Paul was not trying to set rules on length of hair or head coverings. He was trying to get across that God is a God of authority, and we need to walk in submission to that authority. Without that authority, people could have taken the church various directions, bringing confusion and disunity, which could hinder the faith and the witness of the church. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, The Beginning of Order.
1: You have here a church body that's made up of Jewish and Gentile believers, both of them coming from dramatically different backgrounds and traditions. And you know what? Somewhere along this, this idea of head coverings comes up. Now, we're going to be looking at that in a moment. And as we look at that, we need to understand that, again, the time, the custom of the region of that day— Head coverings were normal. They were an expected part of the attire. In public, the women would be clothed. They would be covered in, in that time and in that culture, not too unlike in many of the Middle Eastern cultures, very similar to what uh, the Muslims wear, the, the hijab, the covering of the women. Not so much the veil that we see, but again, definitely the head covering and just the covering of the woman in a very modest apparel. The covering of the body, the portion that wrapped the head, that would have been normal. That would have been expected attire for the righteous woman. Perhaps not so much for the Greek or the Roman but definitely for the Jew. And as the church came together, as it formed up, it apparently was the custom of the time for the woman to be covered, whether they were a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer. Now, in contrast to the Jewish tradition of the day, Paul tells them that the men were not to have their head covered, at least not during times of prayer or proclaiming of the word as they prophesied. For the Jew, the man would have taken, for within the Jewish custom, he would have taken the prayer robe, the talit, and put it over his head as he was praying. But for the Christian, Paul says, no, don't have a covering because Christ is your covering. Look what he says here. Let's read this scripture beginning in verse 4. Let man praying, or, or every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. You see that covering was again the the symbol of the authority over the woman, that the man, the authority over the woman. In verse 8, he says, For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman was created for man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now we'll look at that because of the angels thing in a moment. There's at least a couple of different ideas here in reference to the statement about the women having their heads shaved or, or shorn. One idea is that in the pagan temple worship centers, they would have these women prostitutes at these pagan temples. And these prostitutes or immoral women, they would have literally their heads shaved or, or uh cut real real close to the skin, kind of a kind of a symbol of their lewdness. It was as though they were wearing a sign. And some feel that Paul was making that kind of a comparison. Lady, if you're not gonna have your head covered, then you might as well have your head shaved at that point in time, is what they feel that Paul is saying. Another idea was it if a woman was caught caught in unfaithfulness both in the gentile as well as in the jewish culture Now, many times we think in the Jewish culture they'd be stoned. Well, not once you got out of Judea. Uh, They could do that in Judea, but when they came into other portions of the world, they couldn't do that. But they could still, again, uh, expose them publicly, physically expose them, as well as cut their hair, nearly shave their hair off. And again, in in kind of a public embarrassment, public disgrace, it was quite a while for the hair to grow out, and so it was quite a while to remove that stick. Of of being caught in her actions of her unfaithfulness. So either way you look at it, Paul holds this very dim view of women uh, ministering in the church without this sign of submission of authority. And he also speaks about it being a sign of angels. And again, we'll get into that in a moment. Now, through the years in our church, we've had various ones come in that, that have looked at this and said, well, we ought to have, the women ought to have a covering over their head during prayer time. We've had different ones at different times, some that were very aggressive about it, some that were very quiet about it. They'd just put a a little uh, handkerchief or something over their head, or maybe they'd have a little shawl and they'd put it over their head while they were praying because they took this as something that, again, was applicable for it today. And we'll look at this in a moment. There were others that came in and said, well, because you don't have it on your hair, or because you've cut your hair short, you know, that's, That's a bad sign. Again, looking at these things and suddenly bringing this in a very literal sense, you know, into today's culture, into today's ways. And again, that was wrong too. When we look at this, we need to understand the time, the culture, everything that was happening at that point in time. When he speaks about the angels, you need to understand the angels of God knew what it was to move and to act under authority. The angels understood that. The angels didn't move outside of the authority and again, the the layers of authority that we know that are within the angelic realm. They also knew what would happen when that authority was circumvented or when you moved outside of that authority. They remembered the events of Lucifer, again, who fell because he wanted to ascend up on high and and literally he was kicked out of heaven because, again, of his pride because he wouldn't submit to the authority. And as the women would wear their head coverings, it was a submission to the authority God had put in place even before the creation of man because it was already in God's kingdom through the angelic beings. Now, again, before you get upset about this whole thing, about the order of God and women's submission to men, Paul makes it very clear the importance of both men and women in the order of God's kingdom. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, nevertheless, don't forget, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. So there is this, again, there is this great equality. There is this great working and moving together within the body of Christ. But yet, even within that, there has to be some sort of order. Because, again, God is a God of order and not disorder. Now, we could fight against it all day long. And I know that some, you know, have tried to fight against it. But I guarantee you, you bring conflict into your own life. Because again, it comes against the very order that God has placed. We don't need to try to, to, to explain it all, but we do need to come to the fact of understanding, Lord, that, that is your order. He says, uh, again, each is, is just as each one of them are, in, are not independent from each other, verse 12 says, for as man came for, for as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. The very beginning in Genesis, God created Adam. And again, in that whole process of things, God says everything was good until it came to the singleness of Adam. And God said it's not good for man to be alone. And then he created Eve again, from the side of Adam. And just as was shared here not uh, too many weeks ago, came from his side, not from his head to reign over him, not from his feet to be trampled down by him, but from his side to be nurtured and cherished by him. We look and we understand that, yes, Eve came from man because it was not good for man to be alone. God gave authority to the man in that situation, but in the same time, man comes, through woman, each one of us that each one of us men that are here, if it wasn't for the women, we wouldn't be here. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. So again, not only equality, but this need for each other within the whole cycle of life. Now, Paul moves on to in an explanation, really that comes from nature itself. He says, "Judge among yourselves: Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered?" So he's still with this head covering thing. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Now let me stop right there. Looking around, looking around. No, all all of you guys have short haircuts. What's up with that? How long is long hair? I mean, really and truly, we we read this. I mean, we well, for for a guy to have hair over his ears—is that long? To his shoulders—is that long? What what is long hair? Well. it's interesting, even in the culture of the time that Paul was writing, in the variety of different cultures, there was just kind of a standard of of men's hair versus women's hair. Again, men didn't have long, flowing hair. Remember the story of, uh, uh, I believe it was Absalom that was, uh, again, running uh, on the mule. And because of the length of his hair, he, he got caught in a tree branch. And because of that, David's man was able to catch up to him and kill him. Just by by nature, generally speaking, men's hair is shorter than women's. That's what he's bringing out here. That whole idea of, does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him, verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. We live in such a different culture today. We live in such a different direction today. Is it right for a woman to have long hair and for a man to have short? Yes. Is it right for a woman to have shorter haircut? Yes, I don't think that it's any problem. And we're gonna look at this in a little bit as Paul kind of wraps this whole thing up. He's speaking about within that culture at that time, there was a definite difference that was going on in, again, how uh, women presented themselves, how men presented themselves. And this is what he's speaking about, and this is what he's trying to bring home to this church in Corinth. He's trying to bring home to them this understanding, again, of the authority that God has placed, that, again, for the women, if they're going to minister within the church, and it's interesting, he does speak about women speaking in the church, women praying in the church. And there's some churches that say, no, women don't speak, women don't pray, women don't do anything in our church. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says there, she has to be submitted to, or there has to be that authority over. She just doesn't come and speak on her own. This is what Paul is trying to bring out here. Again, the order of God's plan and purpose. Even within, as I said, as far as the length of the hair, even within the Greek and Roman culture, as well as within the Jewish culture, outside of maybe being uh, taken a Nazarite vow, they they all followed the same custom. The, the women had longer hair, the men had shorter hair. It was the time, it was the custom of the day. And here in our Western culture, things are different and they have been for decades. So was this a command of God for all the church for all times? Again, it's interesting to listen to different people's take on this thing. It's interesting to see how adamant some people are on these things. And yet what Paul is really trying to drive home is not the length of your hair, ladies. What Paul is trying to drive home is is not guys that you can't, you know, let your hair grow out some. What Paul is trying to drive home is not the fact that, ladies, you have to have a, a little veil or a little hanky over your head. What he's trying to drive home for each one of them, male and female alike, is that God is a God of order, and there is spiritual authority, and that we need to be those that walk in submission to that kind of authority and where God has placed us, and how God has placed us, and what God is working and doing within his kingdom. Because we're going to see within this church in Corinth, in particular, people that are going every direction. Why? Because, well, I believe the Lord has told me to do this. I believe the Lord has told me to do this. I believe remember, as he gets on into chapters uh, 14, he says, man, the prophets, you know, everybody with the gift of prophecy starts speaking all the time. And yet, the, the one who is a prophet, man, he has authority over that, that, that spirit of the prophet. He doesn't need to just speak. And again, that, this is the whole confusion that was going. There was no order. There was no real line of authority within this church. I mean I ask you, can a man pray with his head uncovered? Paul says, if you're a man, you need to pray with your head uncovered. So can a man pray with his head uncovered and still pray in vain? Absolutely, just because I don't have my head covered. What about for a woman? Can a woman pray with her head covered and still pray in vain? Absolutely. So again, it's not these physical things. Though Paul was using these physical things to try and drive home the message and the understanding for them. We need to understand, man, Paul is actually digging much deeper than just this idea of a veil or just this idea of the length of our hair. These are lessons uh, that that we need to learn. And and Paul continues on throughout the end of this chapter and on into the next few chapters. Now, Paul kind of wraps this one section up here in verse 16. He says, now, if anybody seems contentious, we have no such customs, nor do the churches of God. In other words, what he's saying is, this is what I'm commanding you. This is what I'm directing you because of the culture that you're in, because of where you're at. But it may be different in other churches. There there may be other customs in other churches. Richard Pratt was reading some of his stuff today. He says, it's important for modern Christians to distinguish between the principles that Paul espoused here and the application of these principles in in the Mediterranean culture. The apostle was concerned that men honor Christ and that wives honor their husbands by their behavior in public worship. We should follow that principle in all places and at all times. And yet Paul chose this particular application of the principle because head covering had specific significance in the culture that he was addressing. Again, he was speaking to them to an issue that had come up in that church speaking to them very specifically and no i do not believe that ladies you need to have your your a uh, covering over your head if you're teaching if you're speaking or if you're praying within the church but i do believe that again if you are a married woman that there needs to be that understanding of the spiritual authority of your husband gentlemen the greater responsibility though is your recognition of Christ's authority over you, and that you must be submitted to Christ in all things. How easy it is for us guys to say, woman, submit. Okay? I mean, I read that all over. It says, woman, submit. Woman, submit. But you know what? The word first speaks to me to submit, and to, again, honor Christ in my life. And so, when I'm honoring Christ in my life, when I'm submitted to the will of Christ in my life, my wife is submitted to my leadership within the home. Guess what? Our home is gonna go a whole lot smoother. Does that mean that everything that I do is gonna be absolutely perfect and right all the time? Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't, does it? It means that, you know, but is that gonna be my wife's responsibility? No, that's my responsibility before the Lord. It's just like when we raising our children, and our children are under our authority. We tell our children to do a certain thing. Who is the responsible party at that point in time? The adult. The parent is. And so, again, it works in the same way. Now, he moves on here in, in reference to the, the actions as the body comes together, this whole idea of spiritual authority in other areas. That, that was only one issue. But that idea of humility, that submission to one another, was an area that this church in Corinth continued to fail at miserably in so many ways. Look here as as he gets into verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I don't praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Wow, that's not very nice, Paul. Paul. But that was the problem with the church. They were coming together, but not under the, for the right reasons. Listen to what he says in verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Remember, this is one of the first things that he dealt with here in First Corinthians. You come in, you've got these different cliques going on. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of, I'm of Christ. And he says, man, these divisions bring conflict within the body. Verse 19, he says, you make these factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, you're lifting up these different leaders and you do that by making these little cliques, these little groups, and then you exalt man. You lift up these different individuals among you. And again, this whole issue of the factions or the divisions, what a major problem that was. How can a church move in harmony? How can a church move as one? How can a church move powerfully? within the community that God has them planted, if they're all divided and going all different ways. These divisions, they cause conflicts. They they cause jealousies. And it was apparent that they weren't moving as one body in Christ. He goes on even in, in the actions of their worship together. Look at verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, For in eating, each one of you takes his own supper ahead of others, and one's hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Shall I say to you, shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. It's apparent from the statements like this and others that we see within the New Testament that that the believers probably partook of communion on a regular basis. They would come together, whether that would be in house churches or whether they came together in a much larger group. That 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 time of the Lord's Supper, that time of communion, was was a normal, consistent part of their worship time together. Probably also sharing of a meal together, that kind of fellowship. And again, it looks very much like uh, uh, the work of uh, within house house. house churches, you come together, we invite you on over, we're going to come over here and we're going to worship together, we're going to have a great fellowship, we're going to have a meal together, we're going to break bread in the Lord's Supper, we're going to share in communion together, we'll get into the study and the teaching of God's Word at that point in time. So as they came together, the problem was, more than coming to these meetings with with, uh, too many of them, I'm sorry, too many of them were coming to these meetings kind of ahead of time. Not because they wanted to get there and, and, and pray for the meeting. Not because they wanted to come in so much fellowship with other believers. They, they were coming because they knew that there was food and drink at the meeting. And so they would come and they'd get there early and they'd, they'd start slamming it down. And by the way, I don't think it was grape juice that they were drinking because I think you'd have to drink a whole lot of grape juice to get drunk. He says, you guys would come and one's hungry and another's drunk. Why? Because they'd come into these houses and they just either gorge themselves. And by the time the other guys got there, there was nothing left. This wasn't an attitude of humility toward each other. It was an attitude of gluttony. It was an attitude of division. All of this was going on again in the name of the Lord. They would say, no, we're coming together for worship time together. But no, they weren't. They were coming together for absolute personal reasons, for reasons of pride.
0: We're so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a home church and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to TheOpenWord.com and following the links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word.
1: Hey, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word.